Good morning. Hey, we are going to have a great time today as we study God's Word. Uh, last week, Tracy and I had a fantastic time. We were in Cape Breton last weekend. And a lifelong dream for Tracy came true. She saw a moose. <laughs> and so uh, her maritime experience is now complete. And we are just having so much fun living here. And uh, it's been over a year. And we are just so grateful to be part of this amazing church family. Let me ask you a question. Every time we get up and we open God's Word together, I love to ask this. Are you ready to study God's Word today? Okay, let's, uh, let's get our Bibles. And we would love to encourage you to bring your Bible. If you do not have a hard copy of a Bible with you, you can use your phone and look it up on the internet. We are in Philippians chapter 2 today, and then we're going to cover a lot of different passages that will also be on the screen. But last week, we started this series called Family Matters. And I imagine that some people were somewhat surprised last week to come to church for the first Sunday of the series about family and for the message to be on the topic of singleness. But didn't Pastor Nathan do an amazing job last week? Oh my goodness, so good, so good. And, and listen, here's, here's why we felt like it was so very important to start this series with that topic. Because unfortunately, I think many times the Christian church has devalued singleness when in fact the Bible elevates singleness. The Bible affirms that being single is sacred, that, that Jesus and, and some of the great leaders in the New Testament were single. And, and listen, the problem is the world tells us a lie out there, and many Christians have bought into this lie. The world says that you cannot be a happy and whole individual unless you find another person to have sex with. And many Christians have bought into that lie as well. But listen to me, the only way to find happiness and wholeness is through finding the purpose and meaning of life that comes through a relationship with our Heavenly Father through the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. The only way. And so we see in the Bible that both singleness and marriage are sacred and, and can be beautiful and fulfilling in their own ways. And so we value and esteem both single and married people in the church. Amen. We're all part of the family because family matters. And here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, If any of you have encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, in other words, if you've got any Jesus at all in you, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. This is talking about in the church. Having the same love 
Being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I want you to just imagine for a minute in the world what things would look like if we were actually to live this way. That if we had the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition, hey, look at me, doing nothing out of vanity or conceit, but in, in humility, considering others better than ourselves. And th this is not a false sense of, or, 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 or a, a sense of, of uh, false humility or low self-esteem. This is a God-based esteem. Where I find my identity and understanding, I'm not all that, but God is. And my purpose in this world is not for myself, but to love and to serve others. To look not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so last week we talked about how to live this out in singleness. Today we're going to talk about how to live this out in marriage. And maybe for some of you here today, maybe the fact of the matter is that marriage has not been so good for you. Marriage has been a difficult, difficult journey. There was one guy who, who said, when I got married, I had an ideal he said, soon it turned into an ordeal, and now I'm looking for a new deal. That is, that is not good. Because listen, we serve a God who has the power to heal broken relationships. A God who can heal broken marriages. And so today, we're going to look at six things in Scripture, six ingredients to a healthy and satisfying marriage. And uh, these six things in the Bible, whether you are single or married, these are principles that apply to all of our relationships. So just like last week, we didn't want married people to check out because there were principles for everybody in the message on singleness last week. And, and today there's something for everybody because these six things have to do with our relationships all throughout our lives. Number one, the need for communication. Communication. Let's read together Proverbs 20, verse 12. It says, here we go. Ears that hear. Oh, oh, come on. I'm going to make sure you're awake. Here we go. Ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now, when it comes to communicating with others, what is the primary body part that we think of when it comes to communication? It's our mouth, right? In order to communicate with someone, you have to to speak, to use our tongue. But in fact, the greatest tool for communication that you have is not your mouth, but rather your ears and your eyes. To, 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 to listen and to see what other people are going through. This summer, there was an interesting research study that was released and, and I wonder even if the numbers on this are, are a little low. But Nielsen Research this summer came out with a study that revealed that adults average more than 11 hours a day consuming media 
in some form. Now, if, if you sleep seven hours a day, that means more than two-thirds of the time that we are walking around with our eyes open are consumed with television and phones and computers and other forms of media. And yet I've heard this, that for many married couples, they average talking together about four minutes a day. And you wonder why we have trouble in our relationships. One woman went to a judge and said, I want to divorce my husband. The judge said, do you have any grounds? And she said, yes, we own two acres north of town. <laughs> and he said, no, you don't understand. Do you, do you have a grudge? She said, no, we parked the car out in the driveway. <laughs> he said, no, 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 L listen, do, does your husband beat you up? No, she said, I'm the first one up every morning. <laughs> and frustrated, the judge said, tell me, why do you want to have a divorce? And she said, we just don't seem to be able to communicate. And communication is difficult. It's a skill that has to be learned. And the place that it starts is sometimes by speaking less and listening more, by asking questions, by watching and seeing what the other person is going through. I think that it's probably true that listening is the number one skill of a healthy marriage, which leads to number two, consideration. Now, to be considerate means to think, how can I help the other person? What can I do to make your life better? Ephesians chapter four, verse two says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. Say that part, bearing with one another in love. What does that word mean, bearing? What, what this is talking about is when you bear someone else's burdens. In other words, to, to take the heavy weight off of someone and carry it for them or to carry it with them. And so I think con consideration means bringing in the groceries even when the hockey is in third period. It might mean giving that back rub after a, a hard day at work. Do you know how Tracy knows that I love her? This is the ultimate sign of love, is when I let her have the last chocolate chip cookie. That is true love. In fact, when you allow both legs to get into the car before you pull out of the driveway, that's, <laughs> that's consideration. James chapter three, verse 17 says that, that the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. Then peace-loving and considerate. The wisdom that comes from heaven evidences itself in being considerate, caring about the needs of others. And so just answer this question today. Do you help out when you are asked or do you look for ways to do things for your partner? Do you constantly ask, how can I make your life better? How can I lighten your load? This is consideration. Number three, compromise. First Corinthians 13 verse five says, 
Love does not demand its own way. Let me, let me give you another evaluation question. When is the last time that you willingly and lovingly did things the way that your partner wants rather than the way that you want? Over the years, I've done a lot of weddings. Many, many weddings. And, and, I, and I think sometimes what happens is that people will stand on the altar and they say, I do, but they're thinking, I will redo this person like a fixer-upper. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, plaster all the walls and fix the leaks in the roof and I'm going to get this person, I'm going to shape them into what I want them to be. That is a bad idea. Because if you are not willing to accept and live with this person for the rest of your life, when you stand before the altar, if they don't ever grow up and get better, then you should not marry them or even date them in the first place. It's not fair. It's not fair to them. There, there's a progression in some weddings. First you walk down the aisle, and then you, uh, then you stand at the altar, and then you sing a hymn. So it goes uh, from the aisle to altar hymn. Say that real quick. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. <laughs> or I'll alter her. Guys do this too. But the goal of marriage is not to make the other person like you. In fact, your differences can be a good thing. When you sit down to eat, do you use two knives or do you use two forks? Or do you use a knife and a fork? <laughs> See, your differences can complement one another. Some women, you ask them to describe the perfect man, and they describe a woman. <laughs> and, and guys, we do this too. We get so frustrated because she doesn't think like me. And the rest of us say, praise the Lord. We don't need more people who think like you. We need each other. Because the greater the differences, the greater the potential we have for growth. And one of the greatest ways that God wants to grow you up is through the school of marriage. And one of the greatest lessons that we learn in the school of marriage is how to compromise. We compromise on the way that our kids are raised. We compromise on the way that our money is spent. Uh, some of you are mourning people, and you are married to someone who is not a mourning person. Can I see any hands who are like Tracy and me? Um, okay, we're praying for you. Uh, my, my wife is an, a late night person. I'm an early morning person. I wake up in the morning ready to go. I, my favorite time in the day is when it's quiet and nobody's bothered me yet. And it's just, it's the most wonderful, wonderful time of the day. And I'm, I'm like, Tracy, wake up. The early bird gets the worm. And she says, you eat worms, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> some, some of you night people, you don't even believe in God until 11 a.m. <laughs> when it comes to getting frisky, some of you are like, let's drop everything. And the other says, drop dead. And you, you have to compromise on when to see the in-laws and when to kick them out laws. See, once, once you are married, it's no longer... What do I want? It's what are we going to do? 
And if you cannot remember the last time that you willingly and joyfully did things your partner's way rather than your way, then that's a problem. Next is an old-fashioned word. I might even have to define it for you. It's the word courtship. I, I could say uh, dating or romance or whatever, but you'll notice these all start with C, so we're going to call it courtship. And uh, this is an old-fashioned word for dating. And I want to, for the guys, give you an assignment. All the men who are married here today, just jot down a note to go home and read Proverbs chapter 5. Now, we're not going to read it here uh, right now because we might have some children who did not go to Kids World, and frankly, Proverbs 5 is rated PG-13, and some of you are really anxious now to read it. And uh, what, it, what this chapter is about is about keeping your eyes and your thoughts and your fantasies and your affections for your wife only. But the main point is in Proverbs 5, verse 19, where it says, may you ever be captivated by her love. Be captivated by her. That's what, what courting means. It's an old-fashioned word for dating. It's back when you were first trying to get her attention and you would do anything to win her love. Can you remember back that far? <laughs> It's been said that if there was more courting in marriages, there would be fewer marriages in court. But here's the problem. The problem is the things we did when we were falling in love, we mistakenly think we don't have to keep doing to stay in love. See, see here's what often happens. A man gets captivated by a woman, <laughs> and oh, she's got his attention, his complete and undivided attention. And he, he sets it upon himself, this goal, I am going to win her love. And he starts doing all kinds of things to woo her. You've heard that, that old word, woo, to woo the woman. And so he, he starts like showering every day and and shaving, and going to the gym, and eating broccoli, and all these things he's never done before. Because he wants to be able to win her attention. He goes to the opera, and buys flowers, and, and, and writes love poems. But the moment we get married, what, what we tend to think is, okay, goal accomplished. Now it's time to move on to the next goal. And, and so in our relationships, what happens is so often we say, well, now my next goal is now I need to provide for this person that I love. Now I need to provide for this family that we're going to raise. And we take all of that energy that we put into wooing and we start putting it into working. And all of a sudden, maybe she's, she's over here saying, what happened? You used to be my knight in shining armor. And now instead of kisses and candy, I get burps, grunts, and nights in front of the television. And what happened? A part of the problem is that, that, that married people tend to see each other at the worst part of the day. Isn't that true? Running out the door on the way to work, all worried and bothered about running late and all the things that have to be done. And then when do we see each other again? At the end of the day when we're worn out and don't have anything left 
to give. And that's the only time you see the most important person in your life. And so what happens is the most important person in your life ends up getting the worst that you have to offer, the leftovers. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9 says, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Guys, you need to give her your best, the best that you have to offer. Don't just give your best during the day at work and then come home and give her the leftovers. Women, don't, it's the same, both directions. Remember why you fell in love with him in the first place. Deep down under all of the wounds and the hurts and the offenses and the misunderstandings, there is still the guy that you fell in love with. We need to make the most important person the most important priority. And you say, we have nothing in common. Of course not. That's why you liked each other in the first place. You're like, ooh, they're so different. It's exciting. She, she's a breath of fresh hair, and now you think it's all hot air. <laughs> See, before opposites attract, now opposites attack. <laughs> And the very things that we found refreshing and exciting are the things that, that drive us crazy. And that's why we have to create things in common, to do things that, that both of us enjoy doing together. If you would, I was not planning on saying this, I'm going to say it anyway. If you have guy friends or girlfriends who you enjoy spending time with, more than your spouse, you need to start spending more time with your spouse. I'm, I'm just going to leave that where it is. Number five, commitment. Malachi 2 verse 16. I hate divorce, says the Lord. Make sure you do not break your promise to be faithful to your wife. God says that our promises mean Something And here's why. Because it is, it is impossible to repair a broken marriage if in the back of your mind you think that divorce is an option. That's like trying to swim with your hands tied behind your back. This is true in our, in our work, in our, in our relationships, at school, at church. In every area of our life, this principle holds true, that whenever you start thinking about a plan B, then you have already sabotaged plan A. And so, what do we do? Rick Warren, he, he, he's the one who suggested these six points. Rick and Kay Warren talk about the night before their wedding. I want to read this to you. The night before their wedding, Kay's father sat them both down and he said something that I'm not sure if I've ever heard anybody say this. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Uh, but here's what he said to his daughter and her fiance the night before their wedding. He said, sweetheart, I love you as a dad and we will always be here for you when you have marriage problems. We'd like to help out any way we can. But the Bible says that when you marry, you make a promise to God, and it says a husband and wife will leave their father and mother, and that the relationship to your parents becomes secondary to your relationship to each other. 
You are to cleave to each other, the Bible says. And although I love you with all my heart, once you are married, you may never come home. Rick and Kay said, we're so grateful he said that. It saved our marriage because there were many, many times in those early years when if she could have gone home, she would have. But it wasn't an option. Tracy and I have been married for 23 years, and most of them have been good. (laughs) But you know what? Not all of them. There have been difficult times. And I I just want to celebrate some of you who have made it through those good times and bad times together and ask, would you stand everyone who has been married for more than 30 years? Would you stand? Everyone who has been married more than 30 years. Wow. Wow. I mean to each other, right? To each other. Now, wait, wait, don't, don't sit down yet unless you, you can sit down if you've been married less than 40 years. Stay standing if you've been married more than 40 years. Stay standing. Fantastic. Now, here's the next wave. Stay standing if, if you have been married more than 50 years. Wow, look at that. Look at that. Can, can we keep going higher? Anybody married? More than 60 years together. More than 60 years. Do we have anybody? Wow, look at that. Oh, my goodness. Okay, now now you see the people around you who are standing. I'm going to ask them a question. How many of you would say that all of those years have been marital bliss and absolute happiness all the time? Right? You've been through difficult times. And there's something that we've, that we talk about today in marriage and divorce. There's a word that people use called incompatibility. You've heard of this, right? Incompatibility. Dr. Paul Tournier says incompatibility is a myth invented by jurists in order to make a plea for divorce. It is likewise just a common excuse for people to hide their failings. Misunderstandings and mistakes can be corrected if there is a willingness to do so. Dr. Paul Popino says, I don't believe incompatibility exists. Almost any two people are compatible if they try to be. Let me interpret that for you. What that means is every marriage is incompatible. (laughs) Every marriage means two incompatible people learning to do life together. And sometimes we look around and we look at what other people have and how other people live, and we think, hmm, the grass is greener where on the other side of the fence. Listen, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is not greener here. The grass is not greener there. The grass is greener where you water it. See, there are people in, in, in my neighborhood who have yards that look a lot better than mine. 
And one of the distinguishing characteristics is they spend a lot of time in their yard when I do not. And so I can't complain about the weeds and the brown spots and wish that my yard was like my neighbor's yard when they spend all their time out there seeding and watering and investing. And one of the greatest investments in any marriage is when you realize that marriage, this is so weird, I'm about to freak you out. Marriage works better as a threesome. Whoa, pastor, that has taken an unexpected turn. Let me explain. A three-legged stool. If you take one leg away, that stool is unstable and it is going to come tumbling down. You need the third leg in order to provide stability, to bring it all together. And the same is true with two individual people trying to bring their lives together. The third leg of your marriage needs to be this, Christ. 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 Listen, you need communication. Don't get me wrong. And some of you, maybe you need therapy and counseling in order to help rebuild the lines of communication together. You need consideration. You need compromise. You need courtship. You need commitment. But listen, what you need more than anything else is Christ. And single people, single people, don't date that person if they're not a Christian. Like, oh, Joel, now you're meddling. But because he's so wonderful. Oh, she just makes me feel so good. The Bible talks about being yoked together with someone who does not share your values and beliefs and is headed in a different direction. Because here's what happens when you yoke yourself with someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, is they are devoted to the ways of the world and you are devoted to the ways of Jesus. And those are two different directions. And, and, and maybe you say, but I'm, I'm already married to someone who I am a Christian and they are not. What do I do? The Bible says you need to stay with that person and love them and bless them and share the love of Jesus with them so that they can see the attitude in you is the same as that of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not talking about cases of abuse or unfaithfulness. We talked about that last week. And so if you want to go back and listen to that, there are biblical conditions and qualifications for divorce. But the way that we love our spouse to Jesus, Paul says in the New Testament, is not by giving them a hard time, but by loving them more with kindness to show them the attitude that is of Christ Jesus. And here's what happens when two people who are married, who are, who are Christians together, is the attitude of Christ in me is not going to fight against the attitude of Christ in you. If Jesus is in me, Jesus is not going to fight against Jesus in you. It doesn't mean you're not going to have disagreements and arguments, but here's the beautiful, beautiful part. We call this the marriage triangle, the marriage pyramid. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but bringing two 
individual lives together with all of your personal individual experiences and backgrounds and preferences and ways of communicating and, and priorities is almost impossible to bring two people together. But when you put God at the center of your life, each of you, what happens is the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. The closer you grow to Jesus, the closer you grow to each other. And so the most important thing that you can do for your marriage is to put Jesus Christ at the center. At the center. And if you've never done that, please don't walk out of this place today without having made that commitment. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray together and you can have an opportunity if you would like to confess your sin and believe that Jesus died on the cross so that you could be forgiven for all of your faults and your sins and your shortcomings and your selfishness and all the things that you have done can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus who died for you to make right your relationship with God, to build a bridge so that you can enter into the presence of your heavenly Father. And then together you can commit to put Christ first in all that you do. And get involved in a, in a Bible-believing church that values the commitment of marriage. And get involved in relationships with other couples who are as seriously committed to the health of their marriage as you are. Couples that you can learn from and grow with together. And that is the beauty of small groups. Last month, we started dozens of new small groups. We have somewhere around 40 this fall, and we're going to be starting new ones in January. And so if you are not yet part of a small group, sign up for that. We want to get you involved. You can go to the website. You can fill out a connection card. You can call the office, whatever is easiest for you. We'd love to help you get connected in a small group this winter. Because whether you're single or married or divorced, anywhere on that journey, one of the greatest things you can do to grow and find healing and health is by surrounding yourself with people who have been there and have come through and can testify to the faithfulness of Jesus. And so I want to ask you, as we prepare to pray together, maybe the two of you, it's been a rough week. It's been hard. And maybe you could just reach over right now and grab hold of her hand and say, honey, I know I've done wrong. I know I've hurt you. But I want to put Jesus first. Maybe today you could carve out some time together. And you could say to him, I'm so sorry that I held you to this 
impossible standard. You could say to him, I'm so sorry about the way that I've talked about you with my friends, but we're gonna do better. We're going to put Jesus first. We're going to, to make church a priority to grow together in the, in the truth of God's word. Let's check out a small group together so that we can take those next steps and surround ourselves with people who will help us grow. And as we continue in this series, I just want to remind you again, as we talked last week about the beauty and the sacredness of singleness, that no matter what the world says out there, you need to keep this in mind, that purity is worth it. The ways that God can use you as a pure vessel, putting into practice these principles that we've talked, today, talked about today, whether you're married or single or divorced or wherever you are on that journey, God wants to use you to make a difference in this world. But it starts by surrendering to Jesus. Would you stand with me?